My favorite version of Cinderella is the one played by Drew Barrymore in the 1998 movie Ever After. Actually, Hilary Duff's Sam in A Cinderella Story, which came out in 2004, is a really close second. Maybe that one takes first place? I'm really not sure. Putting the on-screen Cinderella's and Chad Michael Murray aside, my recent reread of Gail Carson Levine's Ella Enchanted might just mean that I have a new all-time favorite fairy tale retelling. Published in 1997, this book of course puts a unique twist on the Princess Meets Prince story that we've all grown up with. What I learned while preparing for this episode, though, is that it's also an expression of girl power and a commentary on the importance of being able to make your own decisions. And you thought it was just about fairies and ogres. We meet Ella when she's 15 years old. She's recently lost her mother and is left with her father, an uncaring man who is basically MIA all the time. The family's fairy, Mandy, who works in the kitchen, is her primary confidant, but Ella knows all too well that not all fairies are good. Years earlier, at her christening, Ella was put under a spell by another fairy named Lucinda. The spell grants Ella unconditional obedience. She has to do whatever anyone tells her to do, no matter the circumstances. This is helpful if you're trying to avoid getting in trouble at school, but not so great out in the real world. We follow Ella's journey to try to find Lucinda and break the curse, during which she falls in love with Prince Char, is sent to boarding school with her evil soon-to-be stepsisters, is nearly married off to an older man in order to keep the family finances afloat, attends a wedding between two giants, and takes on the burden of the entire kingdom. Though Ella wants to be with Char, she's scared that her curse might put him and everyone she loves in danger. As with any good Cinderella retelling, all of this comes to a head at, you guessed it, a ball. And yes, there are glass slippers. Thanks so much to Sarah Britton for joining me as a guest on this week's episode. Sarah is the co-host of Unassigned Reading, a podcast where she and her sister talk about all the books you never covered in English class. Fans of SSR, I think you're really going to love Unassigned Reading. You can check it out at www.unassignedreadingpod.com or on Twitter at unassignedpod. You know the drill, friends. Here's where I take a moment to ask if you would please subscribe to the show, leave a review, and tell a friend about the SSR podcast. It wouldn't be in the spirit of Ella Enchanted for me to command it or anything, but I would really appreciate it. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. I am thrilled that we got a chance to go back to Ella Enchanted. So thank you for making this awesome pick. As soon as I saw this was an option, I was really excited. This is one of my favorites. Can so you, I was glad. Me too. It's one of my favorites. And I think I was reminded of how much it was <laughs> one of my favorites by this experience. I knew it was a book that I loved, but... I don't think I realized how much I loved it. So can you share a little bit more about any memories you have about this book as a kid and why you felt like it was the book that you had to jump back to? Yeah, so I read this when I was 10. Um, I sort of have a distinct memory because we were on a family vacation. So Mm. I distinctly remember like reading this on the airplane when I was 10. And I haven't really reread it since. I read a lot of fairy tale retellings. I was a big fan of that uh, when I was a kid. So I read a lot of the other books by Gail Carson Levine. And I remembered Ella Enchanted being one of my favorites. I've seen the movie and I'd forgotten a lot of how the book was different from the movie. So sort of seeing it as an option and getting the chance to go back to it, I was really excited. The movie was so disappointing. (laughs) Yes, yes. I had, as I was reading, I was like, oh, wow. I had sort of forgotten how completely different they were from each other. And they are very, very different uh, things. It was so funny because I actually reread this while I was on a family vacation last week. And my dad saw that I was reading it and he was like, oh, I remember taking you to see that movie. That was awful. It's such a good book. And I'm not sure how it ended up being such a 
not so great movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm usually not a huge fan of book adaptation, you know, film adaptations of mm-hmm. books. I think it's just because I'm such a purist when it comes to my favorite titles. And I remember being so excited to see the movie, and Anne Hathaway was in it, and she was kind of just coming off of Princess Diaries, so I was right. obsessed with her, and I was like, she's so perfect. And then it was just so weird. I distinctly remember these scenes of them all breaking out into song. They were singing that electric mm-hmm. light orchestra song. It's magic, and this morning I actually rewatched the trailer to get ready for this conversation and it is bizarre so I will include that trailer in the show notes if anybody wants to check it out and be reminded of how bizarre the movie was but I'm glad we're talking about the book today and not the movie because it is such a better piece of work yeah And I actually found a quote while I was researching from Gail Carson Levine, who understandably, I think, was a little bit taken aback by all of the changes that had been made to the original story for the movie. Um, And she said something to the effect of they shouldn't even be considered similar efforts. It's best to consider these two efforts separately. That's sort of how I think of the movie. I sort of think that it probably would have been a better movie if they'd named it something else and it wasn't associated with Ella Enchanted because they're just completely different. Yeah, it's. I think there's different characters that they added in, and just the whole tone is different. And something that I'm really excited to talk about with you today is sort of this like girl power kind of feministy uh, sensibility about the book. And I think that is not as present in the movie. It's much more traditional damsel in distress kind of stuff. Also, and this might just be a function of the time, but the special effects in it, even the ones that I saw in the trailer make it just seem like so silly and um, that's a shame because I think there's a lot more that they could have done with it to make it really cool. Something a little bit closer to what we see in Harry Potter would have been really neat. Yeah. I similarly loved this book. I think I may have read it on a family vacation for the first time as well. It came out in 1997 so I was seven when it came out and I want to say maybe I read it the following year and I blew through it maybe in a day or two and I'm pretty sure I reread it several times as a kid. I think this was one of my standbys, which I didn't mm-hmm. realize until I came back to it this time around. Just seeing how clearly I remembered so much of this book, it only could have been because I had read it multiple times. And I remember I had this very tattered copy. I can remember the old cover. It had sort of that picture of Ella right in the center, and then the rest of the cover was pretty plain. The new cover I have is a little bit more cartoony, but it does have this pretty foil font, and it's you know it's uh, definitely a little bit more modern, but I wish I had my old copy because that would have been fun to to have even to take a picture of to share with readers because that was a really vivid book memory for me as a kid. Yeah, I when we decided to do this, I went digging through my parents' house and I actually did find the copy I had when I was 10 with that uh, original cover. You did? I'm so yes. jealous. <laughs> it's pretty worn out. I can tell I read this one a lot. The cover's starting to fall off of it. Clearly one that I... Uh, hauled around and read quite a bit. Well, it must have been very well-loved. It certainly looks well-loved <laughs> So let's jump into it. How did you feel getting back into Ella's world, those first few pages and chapters? Um, what was this latest experience of rereading it like? It was fun. I had forgotten, like, what a cool person Ella was. Like, I wanted her to be my friend. She's just, like, really interesting. Just from the very beginning, she's her own person, has her own characterization. She's, like, knows all these languages and she's like you know rescuing this little kid from an ogre Mm -hmm. Um, and just right away she's just a cool person she is and she has this really cool mom too that we have to talk about because I think we've all encountered mother figures like this in pop culture but often she's portrayed as kind of this you know the way I think of her mom is this medieval, magical version of what we would see in the movie as like the hippie mom, you know, the free-spirited mom, the artist, somebody like Mia's mom in Princess Diaries who is a little bit different than the rest of the moms and does her own thing. And it's kind of interesting the way that the author created a similar archetype of that mom but in this magical world everyone like talks about like how funny ella's mom was and just it seems like everyone found her like very interesting and wanted to be around her yeah she was beloved she just seemed to have this vivacious energy she was a little bit mischievous we find out that she came from money so i would imagine that means that she grew up with a lot of rules and restrictions and was expected to be very mannerly and it's really neat when we hear these stories about her sliding down banisters and um like making funny faces behind these really important heads of state and interestingly it's those kinds of stories that help break the ice between ella 
and the Prince Charming character in the book, also known as Char, you know, those are the memories that he Mm -hmm. has of her mother, and that opens up their relationship from the beginning. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool. It was so heartbreaking the way that her mother died, and I was a little bit confused. I wonder what you think about this. Basically, the story of her mother's death is that both Ella and her mother get sick, and their cook, Mandy, who we find out soon after that, is actually their fairy godmother, obviously, because it's a Cinderella retelling. (laughs) Mandy makes them soup, and the magical ingredient is unicorn hairs, And um, we find out that Ella's mom, before she eats her soup, takes the unicorn hairs and puts them into Ella's soup so that Ella has double the curing powers, I guess. Mm -hmm. And at first, I thought that this was just like motherly concern and her trying to be cautious to make sure that Ella would get better. But then later on, Mandy tells Ella that there was really no reason that either of them should have had to die from this sickness and that if the mother had just had the soup and Ella had had the soup, then they both would have lived. And I couldn't help but feel like that was sort of like a darker, maybe there was a darker story there. And maybe that's just me reading into it. But I felt sad that maybe there is this element of like Ella's mom sacrificing herself or maybe there being a darker motive. Maybe she was unhappy. Um, That made me really sad. It's really sad how Ella's mother dies because we find out that it it was unnecessary for her to die. It's hard. It's it's very sad. And yeah, I definitely the first time I read this, like I didn't like read that into it at all. But on this reading, there are I saw a lot more darker undertones to it now. I think it's like left intentionally sort of vague there where we just don't know like it was it just like, oh, ew, this is gross. Ella, you eat this. So I don't have to. Right. Or was it like, oh, Ella, I want you to be safe. So you eat extra or was it something darker? And it's sort of just left to us to figure out what we think it was. Yeah, and it's so hard because as great as it is to come back to these books as an adult, and I do find that they're so much richer for me now, and I'm learning so much more, and I'm able to take so much from them, sometimes I feel like I now know too much about the world. When I was 9 or 10 reading this book, I never would have even thought that. It never would have occurred to Mm -hmm. me that there was this chronic unhappiness in Ella's mom that would have propelled her to potentially give up her own life. But now, at 27 years old, I can't help it. I can't help but read that into it, especially because Ella's father is so horrible and seems to make the mom so sad. And um, so that's sort of, you know, as great as it is to come back to these books, it is painful sometimes because you lose your innocence in reading them. Yes. Yeah. And this is one where just her curse in general as a kid, I was like, oh, this is like a normal-ish curse. The worst things could happen were the things Ella mentioned, like losing a friend or, um, you know, having to do something that hurts someone. And as an adult, I'm like, as I'm reading, I'm like, this curse is a lot worse than I realize. This is really, really bad that Ella has been cursed this way. Yeah, you're so right. And I think the movie in some ways kind of does that an additional disservice because what I remember of the movie is it kind of makes the curse into a joke. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a scene even in the trailer where somebody yells, like, freeze Ella, as if to get her to just you know, stop what she's doing. And of course, there's this special effects moment of her literally frozen in midair, um, which is, you know, a silly moment for kids. And I guess that's a fun thing to play with for film. But I think as you're saying, you know, the older you get, the more you realize that this is actually a pretty serious situation. And depending on the nature of who she's getting in touch with and who she's coming across, some really bad things could happen because she's been cursed by Lucinda the fairy to do anything that anybody tells her. Yeah, for me, one of just with the things that do happen to her, she's told to be happy Mm. about her curse. Mm -hmm. And that's so because it's not just that she physically has to do it. Mentally, she is now happy about her curse and that's just sort of really horrifying yeah uh, that someone has that power over her it's pretty messed up that's a really good point I don't think I'd thought about it that deeply before but that is that's sort of a shift in the book it's about what two-thirds of the way through maybe Mm -hmm. where she's gone to find Lucinda the fairy who is the one who originally gave her this spell And she's hoping that she's going to be able to reverse it. And instead of reversing it, Lucinda sort of puts this additional pressure on the curse by saying, oh, no, you'll just be happy about it from now on. And she is. And it puts her in this very uncomfortable situation because her father's trying to marry her off. And at that moment, she is 
kind of forced to be happy about it emotionally. And that's a very bizarre set of circumstances. Yes, that whole section, like I had forgotten about it completely. And reading it now, I was like, oh, wow, this is scary. This could be something in a horror movie, you Mm -hmm. know? Not only, like, do you have no control over what you're forced to do, but you have to enjoy it, too. Yeah, it's definitely a mind game and um, very upsetting, especially because she is 15 years old. And I guess, you know, in the context of this magical world, maybe that is of marriageable age or whatever, and ultimately she does get married to Char at 15, so I guess it's not that weird. But for us as readers in 2018, you're like, oh, this seems kind of like a child bride situation, and that's very disturbing. Yes, especially when her father's trying to marry her off to an older man who's like the uncle of a classmate of hers. That part is particularly disturbing. Yeah, and then he asks Mandy to put those mushrooms in the food that make you immediately endear yourself to other people. It's kind of Handmaid's tale Yes, yes. Ugh. And surprisingly dark for a children's book. Yeah, it's so weird because every time I come back to some of these books, I'm like, wow, I did not realize how crazy some of the stuff that I was reading was. Yeah, I I was definitely surprised by this book, by some parts of it, just the things that I totally missed as a kid. And now I'm like, oh, wow, this is not good. Yeah, but it's an interesting like thing to think about. You know, maybe authors, authors must know that some of these things are going to go over kids' heads, and that's why they feel comfortable using these things as devices, because kids will take certain parts of them and realize that it propels the story along in a certain way, but Mm -hmm. maybe not be disturbed at the level that you and I were reading Ella Enchanted as adult (laughs) women. I want to talk a little bit more about the curse and the significance of the curse. And for people who haven't read this book in a long time, um, for a quick refresher, Lucinda, who is this sort of goofy silly fairy showed up at Ella's christening when she was a baby and granted her a spell that would force her to be obedient anytime anybody gives her a direct command. And obviously a lot of kids are raised thinking that doing as you're told is a good thing. And so the implication is that Lucinda thought maybe that would make her life easier because she would never be disciplined There would never be a problem with her doing as she's told. And then she grows up with this very, as Sarah was saying, dangerous threat over her head where anytime anybody tells her to do anything, including something that would put her in harm's way, she has to do it because she can't physically prevent herself from doing it. And I found some interesting background while I was researching about why Gail Carson Levine, the author, decided to incorporate this curse into her Cinderella retelling that I thought would be cool to chat about. So the author was working on a retelling of Cinderella for a writing class that she was taking, and she was so uncomfortable with a character that didn't have any agency Mm -hmm. that she decided that in order to sort of explain why Cinderella, who obviously so many girls have grown up, loving, she felt like she needed a a way to explain this very passive nature because she didn't understand how this heroine that so many girls love could possibly be that passive and could possibly allow herself to be used as a servant by her family. And so that's where the curse came into play. Well, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it works really well, too, because like I said, I liked fairy tale retellings And I read a lot of Cinderella retellings as a kid, and I didn't like any of them as much as I liked Ella Enchanted. Ella Enchanted sort of made the most sense to me. Because, like, um, you were mentioning, like, in a lot of stories, Cinderella doesn't, she just does what she's told for no reason. And at least here, there's a reason. So it does make a sort of sense to why you need this curse for this story. There are a lot of really interesting articles online from the last two or three years, actually, and I'll include links to them in the show notes, but these articles all talk about Ella as this feminist icon. They're all written by women in their late 20s who would have been the appropriate age for this book when it came out, so that makes sense that these stories are coming out now and all these think pieces are cropping up. But I found one quote from an article in Book Riot that I thought was interesting, and I'd love to know what you think about it. The author writes, Cinderella was always one of my least favorite fairy tales, but Ella Enchanted gives an explanation for the passivity that bothered me in many classic fairy tales. 
Ella is cursed to be obedient, which constrains her without making her personality obedient. Yeah, I think that reflects a lot of the way I feel Mm. about Ella and Cinderella retellings in general. This sort of telling, Ella is a much more interesting person. She has her own interests. She has things she wants that are sort of counter to what her family wants. And so because she's got this curse, she can be more like of a full character and be rebellious, um, which Cinderella in other retellings can't really be. Right. And we see through her thought process and her feelings that her personality, like you're saying, is rebellious and vivacious and mysterious and all of those things. It's sort of this physical thing that happens to her when she tries to defy expectations and to defy orders that limits her from actually carrying out what she wants to do. So she's still this like very fascinating, independent young woman which is, a, you know, obviously a great kind of character for young girls to read about, mm-hmm. but her limit kind of stops at the physical point because she's been cursed and is trying to figure that out over the course of the book. I know that you're a big Harry Potter fan because I listened to your podcast. <laughs> Shout out to Unassigned Reading, which I think everybody should check out, especially if you enjoy SSR. I think you'll really enjoy Sarah's show. You host it with your sister, right? Yes, yes. And the Harry Potter episodes in particular are some of my favorites. So I have to ask, where can we draw parallels, do you think, between Ella and Hermione? These books came out at roughly the same time. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, I think, may have been a year or two after Ella Enchanted. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you see any parallels between those two characters. I definitely do. Sort of reading this at the same time I've been reading Harry Potter, um, I, I noticed a lot of parallels between the two. And there are some between Hermione and Ella, I think. Both sort of Hermione by choice and Ella sort of by circumstance are rural followers who also have a strong rebellious streak Hmm. who find ways to break the rules. They understand that rules aren't always right, that following the rules isn't always the right thing to do. I think you see that in both of those characters. Um, which I think is a really interesting sort of idea for a children's book. Yes, and they rely on their brain and they're very resourceful. Mm -hmm. Something I've been finding in a lot of the books that I've been reading is that there's a lot of description about what the girls look like, what the young female characters Mm -hmm. look like. And we don't really get that much in Ella Enchanted. I think there's one comment about the fact that she has dark hair and her mom really liked the way that she looked in a certain shade of green. But that's definitely not a focus. And then in Harry Potter, we hear about Hermione's appearance, but if anything, it's a little bit like offensive, especially for the first few books. The idea is like that she's not this pretty girl. So I think it's kind of telling that both of these characters aren't relying or or we're not hearing that they're relying on the way that they look. We actually don't know that much about the way they look. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really about their heart and their bravery and their brain and that allows them to be the heroines in these stories yeah i i see that in both of them too i wonder if one influenced the other at all i like i said i think ella was first and i wonder if this ever got to jk rowling before as she was finishing harry potter i know that i know that there's a whole you know background story to her writing of Mm -hmm. harry so she probably didn't get a chance to read it first but i wonder if if this ever got to her in that process yeah it would be interesting to know if you know either author had read the others either before or after you know they were writing them and what they thought they were like in comparison um especially if they didn't read them before just Mm. that they happen to have all these parallels is very interesting yeah because i think late 90s you know if they were writing for kids as a as a kid in the late 90s who was the target audience for both of these authors i grew up in the age of disney princesses Mm -hmm. and um i know that Sleeping Beauty and Snow White in particular take a lot of heat because they are kind of sitting around, literally, or sleeping, waiting for a prince to come rescue them. And I have to wonder how much of these two books, especially because they came out around the same time, was inspired by like pushback against those trends and wanting to give young girls who'd been raised on a steady diet of Disney some other kinds of magical heroines to look up to. I do think that's part of it. And just sort of in general, there was something in that time about writing these heroines that were smart and maybe they didn't focus so much on their appearance and they were brave and just, they had all of these characteristics um, that I think we see in Ella and in Hermione and in other characters that were written around that time. There was something in that time that that character was popular, I think. Hmm. 
Yeah, and I'm glad it was. I'm glad that we had those heroines because I loved Disney as much as anyone else, and I enjoyed those movies that were really about the damsel in distress, but I think it's nice that we now have this balance and um, that we were able to read a little bit of this kind of story as well. I found an article in the HuffPost, the HuffPost? I think it's just HuffPost. I don't know. That sounded really lame. (laughs) I found an article in HuffPost, and it's actually by a woman named Claire Fallon, who I'm a huge fan of. Another podcast shout out if you are a fan of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette like I am. Claire has a podcast with fellow HuffPost writer Emma Gray. It's called Here to Make Friends and it's hilarious. It's a recap show that comes out every Tuesday. Claire wrote an article in 2017 about Ella Enchanted and how much it had meant to her as a kid. She said that although she loved Harry Potter, Ella Enchanted was a much more personal experience for her, which I think is a good way to sum it up Mm -hmm. for me as well. I really related to Ella in a lot of ways. Um, But she had a lot of interesting things to say about coming of age with Ella Enchanted and then meeting other women who came of age with Ella Enchanted. She said, The book made us feel like we weren't pathetic for secretly relishing those retrogressive fairy tales, nor were we unlovable for breaking the pretty and silent princess mold. It fit the time, an era of intrepid Disney princesses, Belle and Mulan, who got to swashbuckle and get the guy. She also wrote, It was like a secret handshake among feministy girly girls. We wanted pretty dresses and devastating romance, but also adventure, intellectual stimulation, and respect equal to our male peers. And I think that sums it up so well because you get those girly girl elements in this book. You get the glamour. You get the ball. You get the pumpkin carriage. But you also get a young woman who wants a little bit more than that. And so there's no shame in enjoying those elements, but there's a little bit of an aspirational piece where you can also want to be smart and want to figure things out for yourself which I think is really cool and I'm um, I'm realizing more and more the more we talk about it the more I read about this book that this book was well before its time I think I agree with that for sure what did you think about Prince Char were you as in love with him as I was as a kid yes I definitely as a kid I thought Prince Char was the best and reading it now I still really liked him I feel like a lot of the Prince Charming characters are very stiff and one-dimensional and you don't really know much about them and they don't really know anything about Ella either. Mm -hmm. But this one, like, they're friends and he's, like, nice to her and he has, like, good ideas and you just learn about his characterization and you're like, yeah, he seems like he's going to be a good king one day and he's a cool guy who's really into Ella. Yeah, and he realizes that they have things to learn from each other, which is really refreshing and something that I don't know that we even get from a lot of romances that we hear about, that we read about, hear about, and watch in 2018. Mm -hmm. He loves that she knows all of these languages. He loves that she's funny, and he recognizes explicitly a few times, I think, like, I know that I can learn from you these languages. I know that you can teach me how to better handle certain mythical creatures. Like when she manages the situation with the ogres better than he can, he tells her in that moment, like, I want you to teach me that. And that's pretty cool. Yes, but he's sort of willing to say, oh, I don't know this thing. You're better than me. Please teach me how to be better at it so I can use what you've learned. He's not, you know, very like egotistical or boastful or anything. He's really open to learning from anyone yeah and he's vulnerable like he opens up to her about his reservations about becoming the king which I think is cool like you said a lot of times well you didn't say this explicitly but you know we know he's going to be a good king and I think a lot of times in fairy tales the expectation is that of course a prince is going to be a great king because why wouldn't he be But it's interesting that he's so open about the fact that he has seen his dad be the target of tomatoes being thrown at him and criticism. And I think the fact that he is prepared to contend with that and has reservations about it shows that he is going to be a good king. Like he cares about Mm -hmm. what other people think and he wants to do right by them. Yeah, he definitely he cares a lot about what kind of ruler he's going to be and how he's going to do when that's his job and he's not just sort of like oh yes I'll be good at this he's like working towards being good at it yeah and he understands like he goes away on this year-long diplomatic mission during which he writes all these letters to Ella where we learn so much about him he doesn't complain about that I think in a lot of fairy tales and retellings the prince is rebellious. You know, there's mm-hmm. this prince who doesn't want to be king and he doesn't want to do as his father says and he doesn't want to fulfill all of his responsibilities. And Char just kind of accepts that this is something he has to do and he's making the most of it. Like, he's using his time to get to know Ella better 
and he's learning about these new cultures and he comes back and he's like ready to put all of that to good use when he does become the king. And I also thought that their love story is cool. So obviously like in a lot of the things that I was reading about this book, there are certain writers have mixed feelings about, you know, in so many ways this book breaks out of the traditional fairy tale mold, but obviously there's the traditional element of Ella does fall in love with the prince. Her love for the prince does allow her to pull away from these circumstances that have her as a servant to her family. Mm -hmm. And when there's all these kind of like radical elements about her, I think some people find that to be a little bit more predictable but Mm -hmm. their relationship develops in a much different way than in any other fairy tale or fairy tale retelling and since it sounds like you're a fan of stories like that is there anything that you want to share about that like how do you think that the love story plays out differently in Ella Enchanted versus other similar books in this genre yeah I think Char and Ella they fall in love with who each other are as people not as like who their idea of the other person is like in the classic Cinderella they don't know each other. They just see each other and like, oh, that's the one. Uh, and this, they know each other. They become friends. They communicate over a year writing letters. And so they get to know each other as people and fall in love as people. And it's not this sort of like one minute we see each other and we're in love. It's a journey. And I think that's nice and refreshing. Much more fairy true to tale. life. Yeah. It's like yes. the, you get a little bit of the fairy tale because obviously he's a prince and obviously she's going to get to go live in the castle and that's all pretty awesome. But it feels like they're dating. Yeah. It almost feels like they're like having like an online relationship, you know? It's right, like yeah. They're getting to know each other over time. Um, they're doing the long distance relationship thing, which feels very relatable, I think, to a lot of us today. And it's not this like physical love at first sight attraction they really have to build it over time and they hit some bumps along the way yes it's you know their relationship isn't always perfect and I you know I think it takes time for them to like become interested in one another I think Char becomes interested first um, Mm -hmm. before Ella does but it's not like the first time they meet each other they're in love it's they're friends and it grows to something more the biggest issue that they hit along the way is that Ella decides while Char is away and while they're exchanging letters and as he's professing his undying love to her that to put herself in the situation of marrying him which he proposes several times would be putting him and the country in danger because if somebody were to catch wind of the fact that she's under this obedience spell they could potentially try to do something or put her in a position to basically bring down the royal family or the country Mm -hmm. and you really feel for her in that moment because she's taking on a lot of responsibility yes she's sort of she's like i have to put my own wants and desires and happiness aside and do what's right for the person in the country I love. And she has to write that terrible letter where she lies to him and says that she's like married an older man and then she writes a fake letter from her stepsister basically telling like a breakup letter basically. Yeah. Which is so hard to read. Yeah that part's really hard like Ella's for sure doing the right thing but it's really hard to read and then because she has this magic book we also get to see exactly how Char reacts to her letter, um, Mm. which is also really hard because he doubts it for a minute. And then he's like, yeah, this is real. And that's really sad. That magic book, though, was so cool. I really wanted that when I was a kid. That was the one thing out of the story. I was like, I would like that. Yeah, she a magic book. She opens it up and she basically gets to see anything that she needs at that moment. Yeah, she gets to see her family and her friends and read, like, these interesting stories. So cool. It's sort of like a hybrid between The Magic Mirror and Beauty and the Beast and The Martyr's Map and Harry Potter. Yes, that is exactly what it is. Yeah, I really wanted one. I also really wanted, there was, like, this cool porcelain castle that Ella's dad gives her at one point. Mm -hmm. And they describe it so beautifully with all of these details. Like, you can see the laundry hanging out the window and all of the turrets of the castle and all of these beautiful colors. And I remember really wanting that too, which I think is just a testament to how beautiful the description is in this book. The writing is really great. Yeah, all the descriptions, you feel like you really like understand what it is and how incredible everything is. 
Yeah. So all of this drama between Ella and Char and the letters and the breakup kind of brings us to the ball at the end, which is a necessary part of any Cinderella retelling, of course. And Char is coming home from his year away, and they're going to organize three nights of balls for him, which, like, three nights? That's a big commitment. Yes. (laughs) These girls getting ready for, like, three nights. It's like going to the prom three nights in a row. That sounds exhausting. Yes. Exhausting for everyone involved, I imagine. Yeah, especially because we find out that he didn't even really want to have them. It sounds like it's his parents that really are ready for him to meet somebody, but he... Mm notes that he's sworn off marriage ever since Ella told him that she married somebody else. That's sort of more something you see in other retellings where they're like resistant to the idea of the ball at all to Mm. meet someone that way. Uh, And that seems sort of like a classic thing you see in a lot of Cinderella tellings. That's true. That brings us back to the rebel prince idea, Mm -hmm. which Char until this point hadn't really aligned with. Yes. So Mandy, who is Ella's real fairy godmother, but she's like kind of a chill fairy godmother she doesn't want to do anything too crazy she doesn't put anything too flashy together and then lucinda gets involved and it seems like she's kind of trying to redeem herself and so she's the one to turn the pumpkin into the carriage and to put on this beautiful ball gown and all these jewels and they send ella on her way with a mask on to the ball Mm -hmm. And she has her moment. I don't know. Were you as obsessed with the movie Ever After as I was? I loved Ever After. So good. And that was in my head. Like, that's the visual that was in my head reading this so much more than anything out of the Ella Enchanted movie. That moment where she Mm -hmm. puts on that beautiful beaded mask and she walks in alone to the ball. If you haven't seen Ever After, please go watch it. I kind of want to go watch it now. Again, I think there's a lot of parallels between that Cinderella retelling and this one. Yeah, I think whenever I read a ball scene in any Cinderella, what I end up imagining is the scene in the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. Mm. Um, That's what I always imagine with the big dresses and the big castle. That's always like what's in my head, no matter which uh, Cinderella retelling I'm reading. That's what I imagine. That's like the classic. Yeah, I love that one. And then obviously, well, for me, I loved a Cinderella story with Hilary Duff when yes. she comes down. She comes down those stairs, and everybody looks at her. That's kind of a good moment too. But um, yeah, I guess I think it's kind of cool that everybody has their touchstone for a story like this, and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's neat about a story like Cinderella because there have been so many ways to tell it and so many actresses that have portrayed Cinderella and so many different artistic choices to build this world. So it's it's cool that everybody has their way of framing it in their head. You have a lot of options to choose from if you're when you're imagining it because it's been done so many ways. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to how bad this movie was that nobody <laughs> would think about the Ella Enchanted movie when reading the Ella Enchanted book. That's really sad. I don't even remember if there's a ball in the Ella Enchanted movie. I'm sure there is, but I don't remember it at all. I don't either. I remember just a lot of, like, silly antics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of drama at the ball. One of Ella's stepsisters pulls her mask off, trying to expose the fact that Char is dancing with the girl that had kind of pushed away his advances, and now she's a servant and all of these things. But as Char, of course, is going to do, he shows up at the house with the glass slipper because obviously. And um, there's this really cool scene at the end where Ella essentially breaks her own spell. Yes. And it's really freaking cool. It's a really good scene. And I kind of love that and so the classic fairy tale is like, oh, the damsel in distress, the prince, the prince rescues the princess. And here, in a lot of ways, Ella's rescuing Char because mm-hmm. he doesn't know about the curse and she breaks the curse. And in a lot of ways, she's rescuing him. And I think that's really cool. That's an excellent point. And I would love for you to say more about that. Like, do you think it's because, you know, he has sort of been at a disadvantage this whole time in their relationship because he doesn't know about the spell? And so, like, she's saving him with that knowledge? Yeah, I think it's because she's imagined all of these, like, bad things. Like, someone could tell her to kill him. Someone could tell her to do anything to sort of destroy his like reign as king to destroy their kingdom and she won't do it that's sort of the line that she can't cross and char doesn't even know this is going on he doesn't know that there's any risk in asking her to marry him but she does and she finds a way to make sure that he's safe from anything that could go wrong that's so true she saves herself and him and kind of the whole kingdom Yeah. Because what happens is that he 
kind of jokingly like commands her to be like marrying me which to anybody else is like oh that's just kind of an offhand statement but for somebody who's been cursed with obedience and has to obey any direct order to Ella that feels like this sort of like physical constraint that's put on her where she has no choice but to marry him and she fights it I highlighted an excerpt from that scene which says I began to rock in my chair forward the words were about to come back I reeled them in faster and faster the legs of the chair thudded on the tiles and pounded in my ears marry him I won't marry him I won't because she's going through all of her memories about how the the spell has impacted her life and how horrible it's been for her to have to do anything that anybody tells her. And so she shouts, no, I won't marry you. I won't do it. No one can force me. And he's like, of course, why would I force you? (laughs) And it's like, well, you kind of are without knowing it. Yeah, he's got no idea what's going on. He's been sort of blissfully unaware of this whole situation the whole time. Yeah, he thinks he's just being a nice guy. He thinks he's being a romantic, and he is. And as a reader, it's like an interesting reading experience because you see that he doesn't think that he's doing anything wrong. Like, he thinks that he is being sweet and endearing and kind of funny with these jokes about her not being old enough. And she's, like, having all of this stuff happening in her head that he has no idea about. Yeah. So she decides that she's going to try to break the spell. I think it's really cool that she, in the end, does marry him and does say that she'll marry him, like, moments later. But it happens on her own terms, and that's how it should be. And the fact that Gail Carson Levine was able to engineer it that way is mm-hmm. really awesome. I think if she couldn't break the curse, this isn't a very happy story. But she breaks the curse, and then she can have her happy ending. Now she's free. She can really live her own life on her terms. And she finishes it with a joke. I love that Ella is funny and she knows she's funny and she wants to make mm-hmm. Char laugh. Like that's part of their connection. And I think especially now, like most of my my girlfriends who are dating or looking for somebody to be with, a sense of humor is one of the number one things that most people are looking for. And we don't get that in so many more traditional fairy tales. So the fact that they have this witty banter about them is really cool. Yeah. So she says, because they've had this inside joke going back and forth in their letters about whether or not she's old enough to get married, after she tells him, no, I'm not marrying you, and breaks the spell herself, she says, when you asked for my hand a few minutes ago, I was still too young to marry. I'm older now, so much older that not only can I marry, but I beg you to marry me. Which I just love. I think she's really cool. And um, she might be one of my new favorite literary characters ever, actually. Yeah, Alice just... Everything about her is very cool. She's funny. She has, like, all these cool interests. She, you know, breaks a curse, which is pretty great. So Yeah, she's awesome. And in the end, she marries him, but she doesn't, she decides not to be a princess or a queen. She decides to be the court linguist because she loves languages and to stay in the kitchen cooking with Mandy as her helper. I love the epilogue to this where Ella sort of continues to like live her life on her own terms, even more so now that she's not cursed. She gets to do what she wants and she's not going to let anyone force her to be the traditional thing unless she wants to do that. Yeah, it's really a book about the power of choice. And the power of being able to say Mm -hmm. no to the things that you don't want to do, being able to say yes to things that you do want to do. And again, in that Book Riot article that I cited earlier, the closing sentence is, but most of all, she delights in making decisions. She takes joy in saying no and what a feminist happy ending that is. And I think... Everybody should obviously in life have the option and the opportunity to make decisions for themselves. And it's really refreshing that there's a whole fairy tale story here about how amazing that ability is. Yeah, I agree. How do you think that this book might be different if it were written now? Or do you think it would be the same? I mean, we talked a little bit about some of the darker themes that you Mm -hmm. and I sensed on this later reading. Do you think that given the way that things have changed since this book was written in 1997 and and now in 2018, do you think that Gail Carson Levine would have kept some of those darker undertones in? Do you think that she would have intensified them? Would the book have had to be grittier? Or do you think it would have existed just as it is now? I think if it was written day, it'd be pretty similar. This is, you know, a great sort of like girl power kind of book. I do think the part with those mushrooms might not happen yeah. today. Uh, that's pretty um, disturbing, especially now. And I think if that book was written today, it just wouldn't have that section at all. Maybe um, like her father might be like ordering her to marry someone and to be happy about it. But I think the whole thing with like 
eat this food that'll make you like everybody would probably not be in there anymore. Yeah, it's like a little date rapey maybe. Yeah. Or like her dad's like kind of a pimp or I'm not really sure. It's like club drugs almost. Like I'm just going to sprinkle these mushrooms in your food and you're going to fall in love. Yeah, it's not great. No, not a great look. What do you think are the most important lessons that a kid at any time in history reading this book would take from it? I think that the idea that just because you're following the rules like doesn't mean you're doing the right thing, that following rules isn't like inherently right. Hmm. And then I also think there's a whole thing in here about consequences of actions Hmm. um with the whole thing with lucinda like she does these all these things and they have all these terrible consequences so i think there's also a lot in here about consequences of your actions do you think lucinda is meant to be a villain like i kept going back and forth as i was reading the book about whether her intentions were truly bad or whether she was just kind of dopey about them. Like, I couldn't figure out. Obviously, the stepfamily and the father, Mm -hmm. I think, are meant to be the chief villains in the book. Yes. Um, But I couldn't figure out if Lucinda actually wanted to hurt people with her gifts or if she really just thought that she was being helpful and giving people these special talents and abilities that would make their lives easier. What do you think? I think Lucinda like is just very careless. Like mm. I think she's an unintentional villain. She does these terrible things to people and doesn't think about what she's done. She just goes about her life not considering like her actions. So I think she's a villain, but I don't think Lucinda realizes that she's been a villain until later in the book when she sort of has to uh, try out what she's done to others. And do you think she redeems herself? I think she tries by not doing the magic anymore. She's trying to like turn over a new leaf and to be better. Um, But she also, you know, she can't, she feels that she can't fix what she's done before, which is not great for all of the people she's given these curses to. Because within the book, we see Lucinda, you know, doing these, giving these sort of what she considers gifts as people get married that are really terrible things for these people and she doesn't undo any of it so everyone still has to live with the consequences of what she's done she's just not going to do all this harm to anyone else yeah at the giant wedding she puts a spell on the two giants that have just gotten married where they will always be together and that's obviously an interesting play on words where it's not just about like being together in the sense of being married but physically together they're never able to get space And I've been married two years, and I love my husband so much. But, like, space is really good for us sometimes. Yeah, everyone needs a little space. Everybody needs a little space. And then even when Ella's father marries Dame Olga, Lucinda puts a spell on them that they will love each other unconditionally no matter what. And that really backfires on Ella because when her new stepmother finds out that there's actually no money coming her way, she probably would have divorced the father if she could have but because Mm -hmm. she can't because she's been cursed to love him no matter what she instead has no option but to take out all of her frustration on her stepdaughter and that's why Ella becomes the character that we think of as Cinderella who is like working for the family and I think also for her father you know it motivates him to stay away because he wasn't in love with her before the wedding I don't think just from the way it's told like this is clearly a marriage of opportunity right And so now he's, like, super in love with this woman that he doesn't really like. Mm. And so he's sort of like to Ella, well, that's bad, but I just can't. I can't be around her. Like, I love her, but I can't be near her. I love her, but I don't like her. Yeah. Which is sort of a cliche thing, but I think describes the situation pretty well. Well, since you enjoyed reading the book so much, I'm happy to tell you that I found out during my research that there is a prequel coming out in October. Did you know about this? No, I had no idea. Yeah, so I think this might have been the other reason that there was a lot of press that came out about the book and a lot of think pieces that came out about Ella Enchanted over the last year or so because Gail Carson Levine was out making rounds talking about the fact that she was working on this prequel, which is out in October 2018, and is called Ogre Enchanted. So I will include a link to pre-order that in the show notes for people who want to check it out. I'm not really sure what it's going to be about. I think there was some speculation that maybe it will be a bit of an origin story about Ella's mother and how she came to be the way that she is, and that would be really cool. That would be super cool. I would love to read that. I think I'll definitely check it out. It sounds really fun. And I also wanted to make one note before we start to wrap up that I found the story about a young girl who read the book who has Tourette's syndrome. 
And she wrote to Gail Carson Levine um, telling her how much Ella Enchanted had made her feel empowered to fight back against her Tourette's. And I think it's really worth mentioning that just sort of as proof of how meaningful this book has been to people throughout history. Like this girl has something that she's dealing with that made her feel powerless in the same way that Ella felt powerless against her curse. And this book made her feel like it could potentially be up to her to fix it. That's really great. Yeah, it's it's like a feel-good story, right? Yeah. So to finish up, I want to ask you, like I ask all of my guests, if reading this book again for the show has made you love Ella Enchanted all the more or made you hate it. I I love it more. This was a very nostalgic read, and I just sort of, I'd forgotten a lot. And now I you know remember all of the story again, and it's just so good. So you feel like it held up? Oh, yeah. I definitely think it holds up. I wonder if any teachers assign this. I was never assigned this book, but in the spirit of your podcast, Unassigned Reading, I think maybe it should be. Like, this is a really worthwhile book, and I think young boys should read it, too. Like, this shouldn't just be a girl read. I think mm-hmm. it's an important story for everybody to check out. Yeah, I hope it's something, you know, that, like, teachers have in their classrooms, even if they're not assigning it, because it's, it's a good book. And I think because, you know, it's a fairy tale type book, it's not dated, you can still read it today and I think get as much out of it as we got when we read it as kids. I agree. Teachers, if you're listening, please make sure you have this book in your <laughs> classrooms. Please encourage your kids to read it because we're big fans. Yes. Is there anything that you've read recently or that you're reading now that you want to put on our listeners' radar? What should they be adding to their TBR lists? Sure. So right now I'm reading Record of a Spaceborn Few by hmm. Becky Chambers. Okay. It's the third book in her Wayfarer series. Uh, the first book's called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, and it's really great science fiction. It's very character-driven, and I'm in love with all of the books in the series, so I highly recommend checking that out if you like science fiction at all. And there's nothing better than digging into a really good series either. Yes. I find that I have that experience so much less now as an adult, and I miss that experience of like finding a series that you can't get enough of and just tearing through all the books. Yeah, it's a nice feeling. This one, it's only three books out, so you don't get that like feeling that you get when the whole series is out and it's, you know, a bunch of books and you can just read all of them at once. But I do love when I can get into a series and I get to look forward to the next book coming out. That anticipation is fun. Yeah, it's such a good feeling. And especially with fall coming up around the corner, really nice to be able to like curl up with a good book or three and a blanket and (laughs) just like lose yourself in a really cool world. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. As I said, I'm going to include a link to your podcast in the show notes so that our listeners can check it out. I totally recommend it. And um, it's just been great chatting Ella Enchanted with you. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, I've had a really great time talking about this with you. I was glad to be on this episode. Oh, good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.